Dr. Fauci said in January, when we really all began to engage around the idea that there may be a pandemic ahead of us, and it turned out there was, that we're gonna start working on a vaccine. If we get one in 18 months, it'll be the US record on establishing a vaccine for a new novel virus. Uh, and uh, uh, now we're talking about the real likelihood we might get that done in 12 months. Gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? Welcome to the Beyond the White Coat podcast, conversations at the heart of medicine. This podcast shares thought-provoking perspectives from unique individuals while diving into issues affecting the academic medicine community. These are the stories of students, residents, faculty, practicing physicians, and other leaders who provide unparalleled care to patients and communities and are at the cutting edge of medical research. This is the Beyond the White Coat podcast. I'm David Scorton, President and CEO of the Association of American Medical Colleges. And today I'm joined in Beyond the White Coat by Missouri Senator Roy Blunt, Chairman of the Senate Appropriations Subcommittee on Labor, Health and Human Services, and Education. We've come together today to talk about how the coronavirus has forced us to look at healthcare policy in different ways. It has exposed the weaknesses in our current healthcare system and opened up new opportunities for us to create a system that works even better and for everyone. Right now, many states and cities are starting to reopen everything from businesses to beaches. As this is happening, lawmakers have the challenge of exploring how this extraordinary experience will transform healthcare for the country, for patients, and yes, for healthcare providers. In particular, the pandemic has shown us how healthcare delivery needs to change, especially for the underserved and vulnerable individuals in both urban and rural communities who have been particularly hard hit by the pandemic. For example, telemedicine has become key in reaching Americans where they are for those with reliable internet access, yet, Around a quarter of adults don't have broadband internet service at home, and roughly 20% of whites, blacks, and Hispanics do not have a smartphone. How do we enhance our infrastructure to support this medium, which has experienced unprecedented growth in use over the last six months, so that all Americans can benefit? How will we approach medical research in the future, knowing what we do today about how crucial and how time-consuming that research can be. And how do we ensure we have workforce in place to address these types of challenges in the future? This conversation is part of a two-part episode, and I encourage listeners to also check out my conversation with Congresswoman Donna Shalala of Florida. Senator Roy Blunt is a longtime champion of biomedical research and led the historic funding increases the National Institutes of Health has received over the past five years. Over the past several weeks, he has championed relief for hospitals and other healthcare providers on the front line of the COVID-19 fight. Senator Blunt, thank you for joining us today on Beyond the White Coat. Great to be with you, David. Thanks for your leadership and your friendship, uh, which started when you were leading the Smithsonian Institutes and continues right up to the important work uh, you're doing now as we work to prepare uh, healthcare providers in the future. Thank you so much. 
Well, I'd like to start off by personally thanking you for supporting research funding increases over the past few years. This very pandemic has illuminated the fact that we need medical research now more than ever. In fact, I've said this could be the finest hour for scientific research. But all of us want the research to happen quickly. We want a vaccine now, for example. Senator, in your view, are there any ways of speeding up discovery in our great institutions of research, federal or otherwise, not just by increasing funding, but by reviewing processes that might lead to better outcomes? For example, what can we do to develop new generations of researchers or to inspire public-private partnerships that can work quickly on specific research goals? Well, I think all those things are happening. And I think uh, that we are in an incredibly important moment uh, for the opportunity for health research uh, because of just the general discoveries that are happening, what's happening to change health research. I started chairing that committee uh, five years ago, and as you know, made it a priority to get back to where uh, research was a priority. If everything's a priority, nothing's a priority. And we decided a healthcare research, which for a decade it had no increase. And what you were seeing happen as a result of that was research dollars were basically uh, buying 22% less than they had bought uh, it uh, 10 years earlier. Uh, young researchers were leaving research because they were really challenged to get a grant to get those things that initially get you uh, into this research community at a time when so many things are happening from immunotherapy to CRISPR technology to things that 10 years ago were not on, on the uh, part of the discussion have become part of the checklist of, of let's look and see if this will work uh, for this patient. Uh, and then on the uh, new ways of looking at things front, I think we're seeing happen with the response to the coronavirus, particularly at uh, Health and Human Services, led in many ways by the National Institute of Health, uh, a, a new view of this. Uh, Senator Alexander, who's the authorizing chairman, Lamar Alexander from Tennessee and I've worked together. I'm the appropriating chairman. We have a great working relationship. We've spent so much time over the last three months uh, in phone calls with various uh, agency leaders trying to find out what can we do to make this work better. Uh, and uh, we came up with a concept in the last CARES Act, the, the CARES Act 3.5, I think sometimes we call it, uh, what we call the shark tank at NIH. Uh, and we've talked more about that, but the shark tank at NIH, the, the very similarly patterned organization of a warp speed effort on vaccines are truly writing a new book on how we look at health research and how we, with all of the safeguards we previously had, can figure out ways to short, shorten the time it takes to get a vaccine available or a test available or a therapeutic available. Now, in addition to implementing these, these new ideas, public-private partnerships to spur rapid research developments, are there other ways that the public and private sectors could come together to help us do better when we face future public health challenges? Well, let me talk in a little more depth about the, the Shark Tank idea that Senator Alexander and I uh, put in place. We put a billion dollars behind the Shark Tank uh, at the National Institute of Health, Dr. Collins, Francis Collins, the 
person who led the effort to discover the, how we map the human genome, uh, a great leader, a great scientific mind uh, is in charge of that. But he's, he's reached out in a very short period of time. This whole Shark Tank idea was set up within five days of the time that uh, the uh, president, from the time the president signed the bill, something that Dr. Collins said would in the past have generally taken about a year to put this in place, uh, reached out, brought in uh, more than a hundred outside uh, advisors to be the, to be the, to populate the shark tank, uh, and then have uh, looked, reached out at the end of that fifth day when it, when it was up and they said, we're ready to entertain ideas, almost immediately had over a thousand responses from great research institutions to individuals who had an idea. And the Shark Tank will now take those ideas and try to try to narrow it down to the ones that are the most likely to meet in the testing world, easily taken, quickly responded to test, uh, take the best of those, uh, make a public uh, investment with a private sector partner. And once we get to the point that we think, say, five of those are likely to be successful or have a good chance of being successful, go all the way into the manufacturing phase of this as we complete the other public health and public safety phases. And it, David, it's endemic to understanding this, that uh, we, we're willing to fail here. In fact, if we don't have some failures, we're not trying hard enough. So let's say we take those five things and move them toward production. And by the end of that production, two of them we might have determined just didn't meet the standards, don't work, are never going to work, nobody's ever going to use them. Uh, we, we, we eat that risk. We, the, the government steps in and says, okay, we're taking care of that. That's our part of the partnership. But the three that did work, are available in big numbers weeks and months earlier than they would have been. And I think we're going to see the same thing happen uh, in uh, vaccines. Uh, Dr. Fauci said in January, when we really all begin to engage around the idea that there may be a pandemic ahead of us, and it turned out there was, that we're going to start working on a vaccine. If we get one in 18 months, It'll be the U.S. record on establishing a vaccine for a new novel virus. Uh, and uh, uh, now we're talking about the real likelihood we might get that done in 12 months, but only because we've taken this shark tank kind of approach and using an organization set up a decade and a half ago, BARDA, as a, as a government investor, as a government partner uh, to... Uh, hopefully have a vaccine available months ahead of when it would have been. And in doing that, we're almost certain to produce at least one vaccine that will never be used because it's going to turn out in the triple and dual tracking that by the time you get that vaccine produced, you decide, no, it didn't check that the right boxes wouldn't be a vaccine that we would have used. But it, this is a time when time really matters vaccine really important and if you can get it out there uh it's worth the investment of moving forward on what you hope to be a likely uh success oh, what a cool and exciting idea we're all standing by to watch the success of this 
I want to change gears uh, and think about uh, public health and some of the specific patients that we're all serving. And as the pandemic has taken hold across the U.S., um, the plight of vulnerable populations has become even more evident. And we all see this in the disparities among people who are homeless, poor, those who are living with mental illnesses, addictions, other challenges. What can we at the healthcare community do to help these individuals working together with our colleagues in government? Well, I do think, you know, one of the, the problems that many people in challenged communities has is a behavioral health problem that they never dealt with adequately or had, or had the kind of help they needed to have. We've been working very hard in, in our committee, and I think the federal government has stepped out in a bipartisan way. Senator Stabenow uh, in Michigan and I have worked together on these mental health issues, being sure that we have the availability of uh, mental health uh, help to people need treating mental health like all other health is important. So doing what you're doing at the, the teaching institutions of the country uh, to bring people into the healthcare system that have a heart for reaching out uh, to unserved communities, uh, bringing people into the system who uh, understand the importance of connectedness, uh, looking at how we can better use things like telemedicine, including telebehavioral health. Now, speaking of workforce, if, if we can continue that conversation, um, it's really critical, the size and, and qualifications of the healthcare workforce in combating this and really all the healthcare challenges that you've mentioned. Now, I must say under your subcommittee's leadership, funding for graduate medical education for the listeners that education that occurs after the MD has been given at children's hospitals has increased greatly in recent years. But healthcare workforce issues are still challenging as we continue to face shortages of physicians, both for kids and adults. What do you think our workforce should look like in a new normal, Senator? Well, I think that's looking at probably the mix of that workforce. Now, I'm clearly not a doctor, not a researcher, not a scientist, but looking at the right mix of that workforce uh, in the future, I think really important. Having a research community that supports uh, the, the future development, having uh, more people that can have direct contact with uh, patients, uh, having a more of a, maybe a team approach and, and more of an equitable team approach where they're, they're MDs and specialists of various kinds in that team, but there are also uh, other providers that uh, uh, have a clear place to be sure that we're dealing with, with uh, individual needs better than we have in the past. I think that could be an important part of it, David. And on uh, graduate medical education, Really an important thing we continue to remember, you mentioned uh, children's hospitals, as, ever, as you so well know, the, the children's graduate medical education is part of the Medicare program, but children's uh, hospitals aren't part of the Medicare program and have never been included in that. So uh, we have to fund that uh, differently and, and have fund that, funded it with, I think, appropriate uh, increases, but with still goals out there to to, to be sure that those hospitals are treated the same way. And then looking at uh, 
I'm sure what what you're talking about, what what the professionals are talking about is they're in training now is what are the different ways to reach out to people? Telemedicine has had a, made a huge uh, surge in just the last 90 days. You know, so many ways the pandemic has required us uh, to take uh, advantage of technology in ways that we previously weren't. Everybody's suddenly working at home and had been on a Zoom conversation before or some kind of conversation like that is beginning to think, well, gee, this is pretty efficient and I didn't have to travel all day to be part of this 30-minute meeting. Uh, but uh, telemedicine uh, makes so much sense. Uh, I was talking to the Medicare direct, the Medicaid director today again uh, about this very topic that it, it, we don't, when we get through the pandemic, we should be absolutely committed not to slip back, but to continue to think, how do we move forward? Yes, thank you. I, I certainly agree with what you said and that the explosion, we have to call it an explosion in telehealth has been mm -hmm. very, very impressive. Absolutely. And all of us have to work on the roughly quarter of the population that doesn't have access to broadband uh, internet at home. And um, I, I know you're working right. on that and many right. of us are. Um, now, we just talked about your efforts on behalf of children's hospitals, something I know we both have a keen interest in. Um, in this crisis, academic health centers' role in community care and services really is growing quite dramatically. I know that you're in constant effective touch with your constituents. Are there any stories of hope or heroic efforts that you've heard from your own constituents that you might share with our listeners, Senator? You know, there, there are so many stories of, of people who are dealing with their own challenges. Somebody in their family is also not well. Uh, the, the daycare center isn't as available as it might have been. What do you leave your kids? I, I don't know that I can immediately think of any individual story, but I, I, I can think of a whole universe of stories where uh, people go to work in what they think is a much more dangerous environment than they have normally worked in. Uh, they work longer hours than they have normally worked. They often, in many cases, wind up isolated from their own families because uh, they've decided to be part of a dormitory kind of, of, of environment in some cases in our state and other states. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, it's been a challenging time. And then I've talked to a few healthcare providers who really more and more have felt the burden of being the emotional contact with people who are isolated from their own family at this incredibly challenging time in, the, in their life. And, and so, you know, there's a case where many of our providers carry some of the greatest behavioral health burdens that anybody carries right now because they're asked to do so much and to, to provide so many different kinds of support to patients that in other situations would have somebody there in the room with them to hold their hand, to let you know that somebody cares and our healthcare providers are having to do that. And at the same time, often feeling that they have not giving the kind, they're not giving the kind of support to their own families in whatever their stay at home struggles were. So this is a, a time where many, many people have really found heroic parts of themselves and 
push that part of who they are to the the forefront and uh, and a lot of times their own families don't understand why they have suddenly begun to feel like they're second rather than first in that line of priorities. You bet. Very, very true. Um, I'm going to try to sneak a real quick one in if we have time. Um, so, Senator, some listeners may be aware, but you and I are both former university presidents. And I'd love to hear your opinion about the stresses the pandemic has wrought on higher education and how the presence of COVID-19 may have changed our views about virtual curricula. Well, I think uh, there have been lots of, uh, lots of stresses. There was never a, a course that I'm aware of anybody could take to, to, to prepare for this exact set of circumstances. And suddenly you've got students who have left the campus and gone home for a break who just simply don't come back. You've got to figure out how to get the things out of the dorm room. You've got to figure out how to quickly transition to another kind of uh, teaching for them. You're, you're uh, trying to have your recruiting discussions with students at a time when your campus isn't open. Uh, you're, you're refunding money uh, that was essential for you to continue to maintain the dorms and things that are very dependent on that kind of income. And, and then you've got students who may have uh, been very dependent on a counselor on the campus who are suddenly three states away and maybe still trying to deal with uh, that counseling situation that many students uh, need today, uh, trying to determine how to start. Uh, again, Senator Alexander and I, both university presidents, is, along with uh, your background, David, and we, we spent a lot of time on, on testing uh, as an important tool for people to be comfortable to go back to school. And so that's one of the reasons we've been so focused on, one of many reasons we've been so focused on easily taken, quickly responded to uh, tests. Uh, uh, people in higher education looking at really new ways to think about this. Uh, I was interested just this week that Notre Dame announced they'd be starting uh, August the 10th weeks earlier than they would normally start. They'll finish that semester uh, by Thanksgiving. And, you know, when you talk to the scientists and researchers you and I talk to, if there's a second wave, kind of post-Thanksgiving is the most likely time for that second wave. We hope to have a vaccine by then, uh, but they're thinking, and we won't bring anybody back until January, so buying a little time. I think, we're, I think a lot of things are going to change in a significant way in College campuses uh, not only are going to be leaders in that, but they're going to be required to be leaders in that, or they're going to be left behind. Blunt for joining me today. As we all move into our new normal, members of Congress can help those of us in academic medicine make an even greater and more positive impact. Together, we can make our nation a model of excellent patient care, innovative research, medical education and meaningful community collaborations that enable and support the healthcare workers of tomorrow. Thank you very much, Senator. Uh, thank you, David. Great to be with you. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll also check out the companion episode with Representative Donna Shalala from Florida. And I'll see you next time for another episode of Beyond the White Coat. The Beyond the White Coat podcast is brought to you by the Association of American Medical Colleges, a not-for-profit association dedicated to transforming healthcare through innovative medical education, cutting-edge patient care, and groundbreaking medical research. 
We'd like to extend a special thanks to our guest and the AAMC staff who made this episode possible. I'm Stephanie Weiner, AAMC's Manager of Digital Strategy. And I'm Laura Zelaya, producer and editor for the AAMC. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Beyond the White Coat, and we'll see you next time.